Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on what is the king of your heart. I want to jump in today. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say that I'm going to be brief, but I think I'm going to be brief today since we are online. And sometimes I know that that can be more difficult when you're at your home with all of the distractions. And I just want to grab your attention for just a few moments. Um, but I want to reflect, if we can, um, on last Sunday. I want to start today by reflecting on last Sunday and doing a little, little, a little bit, a little bit of review. Um, we talked about Saul last week and his refusal to operate in complete obedience to the commands of the Lord, dealing with the Amalekites. And you guys know the story from 1 Samuel 15. Many of you do. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul um, is told to go and destroy the Amalekites and destroy everything, everything. Every animal, every living thing he was supposed to destroy but they brought back the best of many of the animals, and they brought back alive King Agag. And so when Samuel, um, instructed by the Lord, that the Lord had, um, um, what's the exact word? Regretted that he made Saul king, and Saul did not obey, and so Samuel goes and confronts Saul, And we know that Saul said, I obeyed, I obeyed. And then Samuel says, well, what is that bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ears? And he just kind of calls out Saul. I tell you all the time, one of my favorite things about God is that he has, um, I I love his sarcastic side. And so, um, so Samuel under the anointing of the Lord to call out Saul is a little sarcastic and says, well, what is that I hear? If you killed everything, what am I hearing? And of course, it was the best of many of the animals and um, Saul instructed him of that and of course blamed it on the people for pressuring him to do that. Um, That's what losers do. They blame other people for all of their mistakes, right? And so... um, So what I presented to us last week, um, what I felt like to me was just a fresh insight, a fresh take on that story that that the Lord had shown me was that um, the reason we have to kill Agag and the reason we have to do what the Lord commands is, number one, there is a reason, okay? And so there is a reason, and the reason is always for our good. The reason is always for our protection and our provision that we're supposed to obey what God commands us to do. God does not just sit in heaven and arbitrarily make up stuff to just see how faithful we are and just to see how obedient we are. He's not playing games with us. He is trying to lead us to green pastures and still waters. 
He's trying to not only constantly save us and pull us off of cliffs. Some people just want God to be their savior, and they don't want him to be their Lord. And so many people are in a perpetual state of being saved from cliffs, and they never taste the still waters. They never see the green pastures. They never get to experience the fullness of what God has for them because they will not submit and let him lead them. And so I don't want God to just be my Savior, I want him to be my Lord. I don't just look at what Jesus did on the cross as my salvation. I also look at it as his example to me as he wants to lead me and be my Lord. And so we see that Saul spares Agag, and I think the, 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 the dangerous part of sparing Agag, and I think that we do this many times in our own lives, God speaks to us, God's word tells us things and ways to live our lives, ways to walk in obedience. And sometimes we don't fully obey and we think that maybe that rule is a little outdated or a little doesn't apply to us in this current situation or it's a suggestion or, um, or you know, it's a guideline that kind of is not enforced, Okay. But it's not. And so we let Agag live, but here's the danger to Agag. I just kind of saw um, the guards that are guarding Agag. Um, you could just call one of them mind, one of them will, one of them emotion. It's kind of like the parts that make up who we are, okay? Our, our, our soul and our body area that our mind, will, and our emotions, they're kind of the ones that are left in charge of trying to guard Agag because our spirit man knows that God said kill Agag, right? So our spirit man is not going to be the one guarding Agag because our spirit man knows Agag is supposed to be dead. So somehow that gets relinquished, that that job gets gets put on our mind, will, and emotion, and then it's up to our mind, will, and emotion to constantly try to not listen to Agag. And Agag is in the prison, and our mind, will, and emotions are guarding him, our little under, you know, our mind, will, and emotions are great things. God uses those things. They're great servants. They're great slaves to our spirit, right? But they're not good masters. And so you can see our spirit saying, okay, we'll let you take that. Um, you guard Agag. And then you can see Agag begin to tell our mind, will, and emotions, you know. Do you, and, and then we let all the best of Agag live. And, and so Agag saying, do you see those sheep? Do you see all those things? If you would let me live, if you would put me back in my place of position and prominence, I will take you with me, and then I will make you better than what Saul is offering you. Yeah. And so our mind, will, and emotions will sell out our spirit. And our mind, will, and emotions will wage, wage a coup against our spirit, man. The flesh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so we have to kill Agag so he doesn't uh, persuade our weak flesh. Yeah. And so that's why there is obedience. Um, why do we give? Because it's a law, and so we have to give. And so if we're going to be a good 
little Christian, we have to give. No, you have to give to kill the agag of greed. And you have to kill the agag of self-preservation. You have to heal, kill the agag of pride. Look what I have. You have to kill that agag because if you don't, that agag will convince your mind, will, and emotions to come and follow him. And before you know it, your spirit will be a slave to your flesh. And you'll be worshiping agag. So we have to kill agag. So there was not a command. There was not an instruction from God just to see if Saul would do it or not. Just to arbitrarily see and, and try to catch him in doing wrong. It was for Saul's benefit that God instructed him to do that. And so we see Saul disobeying. And it's because of Ecclesiastes 7 and 8. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. You, another translation of haughtiness of spirit is pride. So patience is better than pride. Sometimes we want to uh, do what we want to do. We want to put God's name on it. We want to do something that looks like it's godly because of self-ambition and pride. And so that runs rampant in religion. We do a lot of stuff so that we look better than other people. But that's pride. And if we really want to taste promise, it's going to take patience and not pride. Because when you're going to, with pride, you're going to quickly get to where you wanted to get to and then realize it's a false uh, promise. It's all a mirage. But patience will cause you to run the race that's set before you and get to promise. So that's enough about looking at that. And but today I just want to look at who is the king of our heart? Who does our heart display that our king is? I think it's such a neat thing. I know I haven't even got to a text yet. That's okay. I've paraphrased a lot. But it, it, I think it's a neat thing that David, who is referred to in 1 Samuel 13 as being a man after God's own heart, David is the king that follows Saul. And so we look at Saul's life. He did so many things out of pride. Remember, even when Samuel came and rebuked Saul, uh, Saul still asked Samuel to go back with him and honor him in front of the people. Like, it's okay if God rejects me. I still want the people to accept me, which shows the corruptness of Saul's heart. And so we see when Saul is faced with God telling him through Samuel that you blew this and, and, and you did not do what I commanded you. Instead of being repentant, Paul just wanted to sure up what his motivation was to start with, which was pride. I hope you guys are with me today. It's hard to tell when you're online. I mean, you, you're not saying anything out there. Let me see if anybody's commenting on anything. Yeah, okay. Awesome. So... But David is the king that takes over. And so then we see that Jesus is from the lineage of David. Right. 
So, so I would suggest to you today that your actions speak very loudly about who is the king of your heart. Whether or not you have Saul tendencies or whether or not you have David tendencies. Whether or not you are being led by the Lord of your life, whether you're being led by Jesus Christ, whether or not he is the king of your heart, or whether or not you're being led by Saul, which is after pride and self-preservation. In 1 Samuel 16... We see what happens in 1 Samuel 15. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anoints David, and David consoles Saul with his heart. What's cool, just a little side note that just kind of hit me when I was just thinking about this whole story this week about Saul and about David and about Samuel, is I just think it's so cool how God uses people. And so many times we just read through scripture and we see names and we read names and we say names and we just don't look at the context of their lives. So we're looking at Saul, we're looking at David. Both of these kings were anointed by a man named Samuel. If you go back to Samuel, you see a woman named Hannah who desperately wants to have a child and tells God, if you will give me a child, I will commit that child to you all the days of his life. And so Hannah has Samuel. And she takes Samuel to the temple, to Eli, the priest, and she commits Samuel to the house of God and leaves him there. And Eli raises Samuel in the house of God. And we see we had Teruah a few years ago hear the call, and we walked through the life of Samuel. It's amazing how, uh, if you read the story, Samuel's laying in bed one night, and he says, God speaks to him and calls his name, and he goes to Eli, and he says, Eli, have you called my name? And he says, no, Samuel, go back to bed, right? And then he speaks, he hears his name again, and he goes to Eli, and he says, hey, have you, did you call my name? And he says, no, Samuel, go back to bed. And then he goes to, hears his name again, goes to Eli again, and this time Eli, poor Eli, it took him three times, but on the third time, Eli says, Samuel, that's not me, that's the Lord calling you. And Samuel responded. And so look at um, we so many times are somewhat envious, I guess would be a word, of the position people walk in in Scripture. Here's Samuel judging the king of Israel. But the power to judge the king of Israel came from the humility of getting out of bed and responding to the voice of God. It's just so simple. It's just so simple. And, and it's humility that causes us and brings us before great men and causes us to be able to walk in the anointing of God. And it's pride that causes us to be rejected. And so just an amazing side note of this whole story is just the origins of Samuel 
are so beautiful that it's a mom, a barren mom, a barren lady. She wasn't a mom at that point, a barren woman crying out to God for a child. God gives her Samuel, and Samuel learns the voice of God through humility. So in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel anoints David. You know the story. Jesse brought in all of his sons, and every one of the sons, Samuel said, no, not that one, not that one. The first son he thought definitely had to be him because he was so big and powerful and amazing. And God said, Samuel, men look on the outside, but I look at the heart. That's not him. And so Samuel goes through all the sons, and eventually he says, do you not have any more? These aren't them. And I thought he was here. And I was supposed to come and anoint the king. And so Jesse goes and sends for David. He says, I have one more ruddy boy out tending to the sheep. And he brings David in. And Samuel, the Lord speaks to Samuel. And Samuel knows that David is the one that he is supposed to anoint. I think it's beautiful that in 1 Samuel 16 also... Uh, the Spirit of God has departed from Saul, and he is being tormented by an evil spirit. And David goes and plays his harp to console Saul. How beautiful is that? Again, who is the king of your heart? Who is the Lord of your life? What is the fruit of his lordship? in your life? Are we the ones that want to console and bring peace to those? Or are we the ones that want to incite and increase the condemnation that's already on their lives and the torment? In 1 Samuel 17, David kills Goliath. In 1 Samuel 18, people begin to praise David. They tell they sing songs and they say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul gets jealous of David. And two times in 1 Samuel 18, Saul tries to kill David. And God spares David as Saul tries to harpoon him and pin him to the wall with a spear. Then we see in 1 Samuel 19 through verse 31, many things in there, but we see in those passages that David spares Saul's life two times. You know, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Now this is the goal, to live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness toward other believers. Let humility describe who you are. As you are dearly, as you dearly love one another, never, never, even in your homes, can you say never, never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly. What about special circumstances? What about if it's on social media and everybody saw it and we think we probably need to answer them so that no one believes what they said? Never retaliate. Never. Uh, we do this often around here. We look at words in the Bible and see what they really mean. You know what never in the Bible means? Never. Never. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly, nor insult those who insult you. Yeah. 
but instead respond by speaking a blessing over them. Because a blessing is what God promised to give you. Who is the king of your heart? As demonstrated by how you speak to those that insult you. Who is the king of your heart as demonstrated as how you treat those who treat you wrongly? David goes on in 2 Samuel 6. He returns the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel 11, David sins with Bathsheba and kills Uriah, her husband. So David wasn't perfect, unlike his um, soon-coming part of his lineage, Jesus the Messiah, was perfect, contrary to what you may hear on popular news stations. He was perfect. He knew no sin. We can't even fathom that or comprehend that. I, I heard something this week that uh, someone said that, of course, Jesus wasn't perfect either. And I can't hate on that person because in our society, that is a natural conclusion to come to. That obviously no one could be perfect, right? And so even Peter could not know who the Christ was unless it's revealed to him by the Father. So unless there is divine revelation, I cannot hate on people for misunderstanding who Christ really was. He was perfect, though, and he was without sin, unlike David, but we still can see David was a man with a heart after God. What did he do? He did not try to kill Saul. He did not try to retaliate when he was mistreated. He spoke blessing over him. Matter of fact, when Saul was killed, the man who came to deliver the message assumed that David would be ecstatic that Saul was dead, and he gloated that your enemy has been killed. Saul has been killed, and David killed the man who rejoiced in the death of Saul. He refused to retaliate. He had a heart after God. Who is the king of your heart? Who is your Lord? Does your, does your responses to your persecution and mistreatment, persecution is a crazy word that we use sometimes for people disagreeing with us. I'm being persecuted. Do you know you can't be persecuted on social media? Because you can turn it off, right? If someone has an opinion different than yours, you can just like turn your face. You can just look away. So it's not persecution if you can escape it by just turning your face. That's not persecution. I, I, I got a message this morning and... You know, I get messages all the time and things forwarded and different stuff. And so I don't know the truthfulness of it, but I know at any given time these statements are true. But I got forwarded something today that there are 22 Christian missionaries who have been sentenced to death tomorrow afternoon by the Islamic State in Afghanistan. <clears throat> 
I don't know if that particular message is true, but we know that that happens in our world. That's persecution. That's persecution. I just went blank on the name that I, I mentioned last week that looked into heaven. I just went totally blank. Stephen. That's exactly the name I was trying to say. I had a block. Stephen endured persecution, yet did not retaliate. Bless them and ask God to forgive them as they stoned him. And we are so deceived with pride that we will cut somebody and cut them deep as we can with our words if they just slight us in the smallest degree. Who is the king of our heart? In 2 Samuel 12, let's look at verses 1. We'll start in verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor, the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except his one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who, came, who had come to him, Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of it. You know, we always want to hear that we're the man unless that's when they're saying you're the man <laughs> or you're the woman. You don't want to hear that, right? We want everybody to tell us we're the man, we're the woman, unless they're saying, yeah, you're the man. You're the woman. You're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. If that had been too little, I would have gave you more. If you needed a Bathsheba, I would have gave you a Bathsheba. But you took it. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I'll even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. 
Man, how complicated is that? Saul, I did what you said. Okay, you ever have a conversation with somebody like that? My kids are wonderful, but sometimes I have to have those, those conversations I have with my kids. I did it exactly like that. Okay, well, how about this? Well, not exactly that. Well, how about this? Well, not ex It takes like 20 minutes to get to the truth. You know, you have to wade through all these things, but you knew before you asked the first question, and they knew as soon as they heard the question exactly what you wanted to know. Yet we had to play this game for 20 minutes. That is not what God is looking for in his children. He is looking for us to be like David when we are confronted with our sin to say, I have sinned. And the next response is, God has taken away your sin. And isn't that fun? Isn't that great? Instead of excuses, and then Samuel saying, God has taken away your anointing. God has taken away your position. God has taken away your call. And God is ripping the kingdom from your hands because you just refuse to repent. Because you're not humble. I want to be humble. Look at Psalm 51. This is David's prayer after the confrontation with Nathan. God, give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt. Because your compassion is so great, take away this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways and erase this deep stain on my conscience. For I am so ashamed. I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did right in front of you, for you saw it all against you, and you above all I have sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true, and your judgment conquers me. Lord, I have been a sinner from birth the moment my mother conceived me. I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit, so come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I'm pure in heart. Satisfy me with your sweetness, and my song of joy will return. The places within me you have crushed will rejoice in your healing touch. Hide my sins from your face. Erase all my guilt by your saving grace. Create in me a, clean, a new clean heart within me. Fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires, ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take from me your sacred spirit. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I can show you, I can show to other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. Then I can show to other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. Then I can show to other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. Humble yourself and repent and then show to other guilty ones how loving and merciful he is. 
Some of the most proof of an unrepentant heart is a lack of mercy to others. They will find their way back home to you knowing that you will forgive them. Oh God, my saving God, deliver me fully from every sin, even the sin that brought blood guilt. Then my heart will once again be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of joy and deliverance. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome, I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or the sacrifice. Vices I might offer you. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet. Be the protecting wall around Jerusalem, and when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring our sacrifices of righteousness before you in love. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm a brand new creature. It's no longer I who lived, but Christ lives in me. Who is the king that's calling the shots in our lives? We're not just supposed to be like him. We're supposed to be allowing him to live through us. People should be getting confused where we stop and he starts because we should demonstrate who he is so clearly to the world around us. Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal, hear their, heal their land. Humble themselves, humble themselves. Philippians 2 talks about the same mind being in us that's in Christ. So much so that he humbled himself and become, became human. Although he was equal with God, he did not count equality with God something to be clung to or held on to, but freely released that and humbled himself and became like a man and was obedient even unto death Death on a cross. He is the one who is supposed to be the king of our heart. He is supposed to be our Lord. He is supposed to be leading us in humility. So many people right now are appointing themselves as the judge. Clearly, things need to happen. Judgment starts in the house of the Lord. Clearly, transformation needs to take place. I've talked about this for many years. I desire for an awakening to take place in the church, for transformation to take place in the church, 
for the church to not be a religious institution that has a form of godliness but no power, but that would truly be followers of Christ, that he would be the king of our hearts and we would advance his kingdom everywhere we go and demonstrate his power and his authority as he sits upon the throne of our hearts and exacts his judgments in the world. But mercy triumphs judgment. So he desires mercy over sacrifice. And many of us in this time now are finding great fulfillment and great worth in self-debutizing ourselves as the judges. Very few people are debutizing themselves as the repenters. And I, I want to be the one that points out everything. I want to be the one that tells everybody everything. You know, there's some things. There's people that are offended with church. Over the years, they've become offended with church. And this is a great time right now. Anytime the world wants to attack the church, it's a great time to jump on board, especially if you're offended with the church. But when believers are attacking the church, I want to say, where were you? Where were you? You're a part of the church. Why didn't you change the church? Why didn't you take your place, be a part of the solution? Why weren't you so intricately connected to the church, and why weren't you living in such a way that you helped bring change? You and all those around you, why weren't you the right church? It's easy to sit outside of stuff. We do it. We like to watch sports, and um, it's so funny. My um, boys, uh, especially Josiah, my middle son, he loves to watch sports, and if someone drops a pass, he'll be like, how in the world could they possibly have done that? That is so ridiculous. I can't believe he dropped that ball. Lions will do it to you. In basketball, how in the world could he miss that shot? I can't believe he just did that. And I'm thinking in my mind, my goodness, you could not have caught that ball if you were 10 feet tall. And you know, a prime athlete that was, some things just happen, mistakes are made, but it's so easy for us to sit back. It's so easy for us to sit back and say, man, they should have done that differently. Man, why are they doing it like that? Man, why did they drop the ball like that? Man, why did they handle that situation like that? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do this? Well, the only difference is you're on the team. You're not sitting at home watching as a fan. You're on the team. If you're a part of the church, quit criticizing the church and change the church. You are the church. Yes. So be one that plants themselves square in the middle of the church on their knees and let your repentance be contagious and let it spread throughout the body of Christ. Be a leader of repentance in the body. So many people want to say, I'm the judge. This is a great opportunity for me to judge. I'm going to judge everybody. I'm going to critique everybody. I'm going to do everything. We need some people to be the 
head repenters. Can you guys come play? I'm going to kind of put Jahan on the spot. If you'll come up here. Where is the humility? Where is the repentance? So many of us, our responses look like Saul and not David and definitely not like Jesus. And we need to repent. I just want you to lead us in a prayer of repentance, a song of repentance this morning as we conclude, if you could do that. The church, the body of Christ, the believers, We're having prayer meetings for our land. We're operating in power and making declaration and decrees. He did not say, if my people will embolden themselves and scream louder, I'll heal their land. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, repent. And so today we don't need louder prayers. We need more humble prayers, more contrite prayers, more shattered-hearted prayers of repentance. And so I just want us to end today where you are at your house. Those of you that are here, let's just end with a prayer of repentance this morning. I'm going to step down and just lay in the altar myself and just lead us in a, a song of repentance, prayer of repentance. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 